Construction Basics. This is the preparatory podcast uh, where three of us, we go through the scriptures, just talk about things that are fundamental, fundamental to the restoration movement and the church and just the meaning of those scriptures. Right now we're going through the Book of Mormon chapter by chapter and when we last left off, Nephi was talking to his brothers about the dream his father had. Uh, my name is Sam Jordison. I'm joined with two others. I'll let you introduce yourselves. Andrew Smith. Jason Kane. As we left off, you know, Nephi is explaining these things to his brothers and saying, you know, here's what our father meant by these things. And they're so confused because they say the Lord doesn't reveal some things unto him. And, and I think this, the theme of our last episode was really about the prize being Christ and in terms of the dream and how important that is and how not to let that, not let our focus shift from anything but Christ. And also that, uh, it's important where our heart is because we talked about Laman and Lemuel and how their hearts are just constantly hardened. And we're going to see that in this next chapter, this chapter five, um, that it's all about the heart. It seems like on where Laman and Lemuel are at and where Nephi and his father and the others are at. So we come into chapter Five verse one, Nephi just makes an end of explaining things to his brethren, and it says that ne- uh, Laman and Lemuel, um, they said these are hard for these for these things to be explained to us because we're guilty. That's basically what they're saying. Um, and Nephi says that the guilty are going to take the truth to be hard. You know, it's going to cut them to the center because of these things that which are being spoken about are actually going against them and and their natural inclination that they have to be told the things they're doing are wrong. And Nephi, actually in verse 5, I think, Angie, you had a note about that, but here's what verse 5 says, and it came to pass that they did humble themselves before the Lord. So his brothers are finally repenting, humbling themselves again. And Nephi, who who just got out of having his own vision and seeing the future of his children and his brother's children and knows how it's all going to end up for, for his seed being destroyed and the Gentiles coming over. I find this really interesting that he has joy and great hopes of them that they would walk in the paths of righteousness. I really liked this verse in general just because it shows the the deep love that Nephi has for his brothers. We talked about that last time about how it wasn't it wasn't enough for Lehi, Sariah, and Sam and Nephi to just have joy in partaking of the fruit by themselves, but they they really yearned to have Laman and Lemuel there with them, and it wasn't enough just for two thirds of the family to be there. You know, they they needed everybody to be there. They wanted everybody to be there. And it, and it really shows how much he really cares for him. And it doesn't matter what they do to him. I mean, like, they're going to continue to do bad stuff to Nephi. And Nephi isn't concerned about his state. He's concerned about their eternal state. It shows a lot about us in the world today. We hear a lot about the per- persecution of Christians. And a lot of Christians are worried about um, persecution, about um, tribulation, uh, any of these things. I mean, all around the world, but even here in in independence, we not as much as, say, India or some places like that, but sure, there are, are social persecutions and stuff like that. We're worried about those things, and, and Nephi has this perspective that it's not about the persecutions because it's not at all about what happens to me. It's about the eternal salvation of those who are doing the persecution. He's just yearning for this this change of heart that has hopefully come over them, and he's kind of a spoiler, but Laman and Lemuel don't repent and get better. I mean, like, they they stay wicked, and it's just heartbreaking for me to read this, and you can just feel how much he loves them, and yet 
it's all for naught, it seems. Mm-hmm. And so I had an experience freshman year of high school. We were at a camp, Mammoth Camp. It's a senior high camp and and I was coming into the camp as a as a freshman. And at the beginning of the week, they gave us a picture of Jesus. And they said, keep this with you at all times. The other rule was that you had to have your name tag with you at all at all times, too. And so I, I just put the picture of Jesus in my back of my name tag. And as the week went on, I think it was Thursday night. So camp started on Sunday. It was Thursday. So, you know, five days after. And we were in the middle of the night. We had our evening activities. We had all said goodnight and we're going to bed. And that's when they came up, you know, some of the staff members and said, hey, come back. There's a there's a party going on. And they started playing loud music in the middle of the camp. And so the guys on one side came to the middle and the girls on the other came to the other side. And they formed two lines, which were headed into this, the the dining hall, which was um, then covered with a blanket so you couldn't see what was going on inside. All the windows were blacked out. And slowly, people would walk up one by one into the, the behind the curtain, and some of them would enter, and some of them would leave out the side. And, uh, you know, I got closer to my turn, and we were all singing campfire songs. It was a really good spirit there. And it, I walked in when it was my turn, and they asked a simple question of, do you have your key? And I had my name tag with me, luckily, and I got to... I just presumed it was that picture of Jesus. So I showed them that picture and he said, you know, you may enter. And I got to go in. As soon as I walked in, there was this beautiful display of a cake, of snacks, of a punch bowl. Um, I think there was a chocolate fountain or something. It was just a really nice spread of, of food. And there on the, the floor was blankets and the other people who had gotten in were, were sitting down on the blankets. And I was so excited to get in. So like, I, I did everything right kept my key with me. And even in the dark hours of the night, you know, when it's time to go to bed, I still had the chance to bring my name tag with me. So I sat down on the blanket and I looked around and this camp that was a camp, uh, camp of about a hundred kids, probably about 15 or 20 had made it in. And I was about halfway through. So 15 or 20 out of that 50 that have gone through. And I just realized how many people didn't get in. And I learned later that the the people that didn't get in, they, you know, they gathered up and they just started praying outside. And, and it was a real impactful experience for both sides. I think mostly for those who hadn't gotten, gotten in, they realized why they hadn't gotten in and how devastating it was for them. But for me on the inside, it was, you know, so great to get in at first. And then I looked around and realized all those people I cared about, all the friends I'd made throughout the camp had missed the mark and how sad it was. And, and I consider that a spiritual experience because I don't think my, my natural state of things would have, you know, would have thought of other people as soon as I got in. I think my, generally my thoughts um, would have been like, more like, haha, I got in, you know? And it was like that at first, but then it was, oh man, I wish those others had gotten in too. And they ended up being able to be brought in, you know, after everyone had gone through and they had, they just started singing songs and eventually they were let in too. And we all had a good celebration. But that's what Nephi, I feel like, is going through here, that he's doing everything he can to make sure his brothers are going to get the reward with him, but that their families are going to be um, numbered in the in the family of God. And, and I imagine that in their journey in, in, the, in the wilderness, that they're getting pretty close. I mean, they're already a family, but, you know, a, instead of a city, it's now just their family and Ishmael's family. And, you know, Nephi's walking next to, you know, his nieces and nephews that are Laman and Lemuel's sons and daughters. And, and he cares for them just as deeply as we care for our families. So that's got to be hard for him. And, and you can see that, like you said, and that he had great joy or joy and great hopes for them. Just like you said, that 
Um, he wants them to have the reward with him. It's not enough just to just to get through on his own. Yeah, and our goal should be what God's goal is too, is to bring forth the eternal life of man. And that's kind of the perspective that Lehi and Nephi have been coming from. Is And like Andrew said, they are rebelling against them and they're not worried about what's going on in the physical life. They're just worried about eternal. Yeah. It's not the eternal life of Jason or Andrew or Sam. It's the eternal life of man, you know. Yeah. So that's- and uh, we go on and um, Nephi takes... One of the daughters of Ishmael, the wife, and, you know, his brothers do too, and Zoram does, and Ishmael's sons are presumably married to the daughters of Lehi, and Nephi says, you know, I've been blessed of the Lord exceedingly, and lo and behold, one day his father comes out of his tent, you know, there in the wilderness, and what's he find? A mysterious object, which we call the Liahona, but right here he says it's a, a ball of brass, curious workmanship. And the, the ball had two spindles, one pointed the way whether we should go into the wilderness. And it's kind of like a compass that works on faith, which is an interesting idea. It's kind of like in parts of the Caribbean, that compass that points them to their <laughs> heart's greatest desire. Only yeah. this one's a spiritual and much more real object that tells you where to go, where the Lord wants you to go. It tells us how it works in verses 34 and 35. And there's something it also does. Um, that's maybe not as familiar as directions, but in verse 35 it says, And there was also written upon them a new writing which was plain to be read, which should give us understanding concerning the ways of the Lord. And it was written and changed from time to time, according to the faith and diligence which we gave it. And so you see, even it had a couple different purposes. It was showing them where to go, and it was also just telling them things about the ways of the Lord, just letting them understand him more. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, in verse 25, something kind of curious happens. Nephi breaks his bow, and these this family out in the wilderness is relying on that to feed them. And Nephi breaks his bow. They don't have a way to get food, and his brothers are angry with him. And Everybody's angry. Everyone's angry, yeah. Pretty much. Um, it goes on to say that even Lehi began to murmur against the Lord because they didn't have a way to get food. They didn't. They were all hungry. They were all probably angry at each other's throats. And this is, I think, the difference in verse 27. It's talking about Nephi speaking to his brother and, and their hearts are hardened. And and because their hearts are hardened, it leads to them complaining against the Lord their God. And this goes back to what we were talking about last episode of it's all about their hearts. They were on this journey and and Nephi is on this journey willing with, with God on his heart and on his mind and saying, you know, if this is what the Lord commands, then this is what we're going to do. And I'm going to do it happily. And then you have the other side where Laman and Lemuel are like, this is what the Lord wants, but we're not going to do it happily. And this is where, I wouldn't say starts because it's already started, but Laman and Lemuel, um, their hearts are causing them to complain. And Nephi ends up um, going to create his own bow and find some animals. The Lord tells him where to go hunt, and he shoots some animals and brings them back down to his family. And there in verse 41, you're going to see that once they get food, that the brother and the rest of the family is so happy. And it's like, hey, Lord, once you do something for me, then I'll be happy. Like, then I'll be happy with you. And that pride that we talk about in Lehi's vision, selfishness that's creeping in, has already got a hold on them. You know, what's in it for me? When I follow you, what's in it for me? Yeah, it's very easy to praise God in the good times and when you're being prosperous and have all the food you need, all the provisions and everything. But once you literally have to completely rely on God, it's a lot harder to actually just still love 
God and follow his plan and uh, not murmur against it because it's, it's human. It's natural to be worried about your natural state. <laughs> so mm-hmm. One of the qualities I really value about Nephi is that he seems to have this just great perspective about um, circumstance. It doesn't matter the circumstance he's in. He just always see, sees things as um, almost, I won't say as God sees them because he, he, he didn't often see things as God does uh, or did, but um, he sees them in a, a way that's better than I would see them at this point. I mean, like he, he's also without food for this time and, and yet he, he doesn't complain. He turns to the Lord. It's just a different reaction that we see or a different response. And I appreciate that about Nephi. Yeah. And and you're going to see that again. And just a few verses later, Laman is going to, well, Ishmael dies and his family is obviously um, or understandably upset that their father had died. And, you know, Laman and Lemuel are just kind of waiting for a chance to go back to Jerusalem, it seems, are, are now starting up. This. They see their target and they're like, you know what, we can use this. And they start to stir up them against Nephi and Lehi and their family. And then they begin to deny what has happened to them. Here's Laman, and he's talking to Lemuel and the sons of Ishmael. Behold, let us slay our father and also our brother Nephi, who has taken it upon him to be our ruler and teacher. And, you know, we're our, we're the elder brothers. Now, Nephi is telling us that the Lord has talked with him and also the angels have ministered to him. But behold, we know that he lies unto us and he tells us these things that, you know, he may just get power over us. And he's leading us into the, the wilderness just to, just for his own, own joy, you know, he's just doing it because he wants to and he gets this power over us. And I talked with Andrew before this episode and this just reminds me of a scripture in the Doctrine and Covenants in verse 56. Or 50, 59. 59, about how, well, let me just read it so I don't misquote it. So from section 59, verse 5b, And in nothing doth man offend God, or against none is his wrath kindled, save those who confess not his hand in all things, and obey not his commandments. And there you have Laman who's saying all these things that were done were a manipulation of, Le- of our father and of Nephi, and God didn't want this. Um, he never wanted it. And all these things, they're not of him. And so then you have the Lord who, who's told us on the Doctrine and Covenants that that's what, you know, that's what kindles my anger. That's where you offend me. He hears Laman talking and, and he actually gives the words to be said. And in verse 53, and it came to pass that the Lord was with us. Yea, even the voice of the Lord came and he's hearing Laman say these things and he did chasten them exceedingly. And after they were chastened by the voice of the Lord, they did turn away from their anger and repent of their sins. And, you know, there's just an example of the Lord saying, you know, look at all these things I did for you. And you were there for him. You saw him with your own eyes. And if you're going to die, then you're going to be in trouble. <laughs> you're going to get chewed out for, for this things. And so you again turn to a, a kind of a time of peace between the brothers and, and the families of Ishmael and uh, Lehi. But more frequently now, you're seeing Laman and Lemuel test their, I won't say luck, but test their patience against the Lord. And, and more frequently, they're saying, how can we get rid of Nephi? How can we get our own gain? And I think it's just becoming more frequent, more often, that their their hearts are being hardened and, and the adversary is getting a better control on on their hearts, which is, which is not good. What's interesting, I think, uh, to me at least, is that these are the same things they've been saying the whole time. They haven't really changed. And 
each time God seems to answer these questions that they have, like, why is Nephi in charge of us, huh? Well, God's told him the answer a couple of times. Uh, like, why why isn't he talking to us? God's told him the answer a couple of times. I mean, like, they're not thinking of new things. It's a pattern, and I'll say it again later when uh, we get down to, well, later in the chapter. I'll say it again, but it's a pattern in, in worldly people to be forgetful. And it seems that Laman and Lemuel, when faced with any bit of an obstacle, they instantly forget everything that they knew before and it's a terrible quality to have and i'm not talking about just oh i forgot my keys or i forgot where i put my wallet because if so then i would not be getting into heaven i (laughs) my my memory is awful uh but it's it's remembering what god has done for you and so it comes in the form of testimonies it comes in the form of home visits it comes in the form of uh talking about god thinking about god a lot and you can just see that they're not doing it because they, they don't remember those things and they choose to not remember them. Yeah. And having that attitude to look towards God in the trials instead of just looking to your own understanding. Well, they're, they're going to, you know, look to their own understanding a little bit more here in the chapter because Nephi gets told to build a ship. And I want to touch on something that I feel is really important. Um, and the Lord takes Nephi up to, um, to talk to him and he tells him what, how to build a ship and Nephi, you know, so like, well, I need to know how to do basically everything. And the Lord says, I'm going to teach you how to do basically everything. And you're not going to lean on your own understanding. You're going to lean on me. And he tells them that once they make this ship, that um, they're going to sail to the promised land. The Lord's going to direct them. And here in verse 80, the Lord says, and the Lord said, that after ye have arrived to the promised land, ye shall know that I, the Lord am God. And that I, the Lord, did deliver you from destruction, and that I did bring you out of the land of Jerusalem. So I read that, and and at first I was like, okay, that you know that makes sense. God's showing His power. God's convincing them that He's on their side. But but Nephi already has a pretty good relationship with the Lord, I think. And this goes to something that I I want to illustrate is that um, Nephi and his family are going to know more about God and His plan than they do right now. And they're going to, um, once once they're there, um, they're going to understand an attribute that they didn't maybe have a full grasp on yet. And that's that the Lord is preserving them just like he told Nephi in his vision that Jerusalem's going to be destroyed and um, his seed's going to dwindle and then the Gentiles are going to come over and they're going to need the words of Nephi's seed to get back on track to have that salvation, that plain and precious truth He's going to, he's telling him here that you're going to know I'm the Lord and you're going to know a little bit more about me than you do right now. And you're going to have confidence that what I say is true and that you're part of my plan. I really liked, I guess, just going off that point, going back a verse says, inasmuch as you keep my commandments, you shall be led toward the promised land. You shall know that it is by me that you are led. And so just once again, it's, it's drawing out God's promises and, and, um, the the next verse is just another example of that promise. Um, it, I mean, it's called the promised land. Like, and this is the promise that they are supposed to go out and prove. And once they prove it, I mean, they'll know that God is who he's, who he says he is just uh, more than they did before. I mean, they, they know he's a God of 
getting them the plates. He knows they know he's a god of getting them wives to go into the wilderness, but they don't know he's a god that brings them to the promised land. Are they, you know, and so they're just continually learning more, like you said, about about God. And that's a, another thing that I really value about God is that in our current state, we can't know everything, obviously, and so there's always more to learn. Yeah, and imagine the response of Laman and Lemuel and those people if they don't have the promise of the promised land and they're just sent over in ships seemingly nowhere and they still have to just trust in God. I, I don't think the voyage would really survive if they didn't at least have some sort of promise. And even if they don't believe it, they can at least have Nephi as a kind of a leader to try and fulfill that promise. Yeah. And they call him on the things that they don't believe in because Nephi comes down from that and that experience and his brother's, um, are murmuring against him and they say, our brother's a fool. He thinks he can build a ship and they just berate him for all these things that Nephi does. You know, he builds tools and they make fun of him. He starts to build the ship and they're making fun of him. It says that he doesn't build it out of the intuition of man. He doesn't use man's traditional ways of building a ship and he uses God's ways. He, he says, you know, further in the chapter, I'm not doing it the way I, Nephi, would, would think to build a ship. This is, this is all from the Lord. The layman and Lemuel are making, making fun of him and they get kind of fed up, you know, more, like I said, more frequently. And they start talking about all the struggles their wives have had going through walking in the wilderness. And so the brothers start talking to Nephi and saying, Hey, those people in Jerusalem, we were, they were righteous. There's no way that they're going to be destroyed. You know, they, they kept the law of Moses and, and we left because our father thought they were going to be destroyed. The Lord wouldn't allow that to happen. And this is a example of what we talked about in the first episode when you're judging others off your man's standards, not off God's standards. And we know from the New Testament that the Jews were off the mark on a lot of things, that they just didn't understand Christ and who he was. And when he came, that there were people who denied him. And the Pharisees who were in power couldn't come down out of their pride and admit that he was the Christ. And so Laman and Lemuel are here talking about all the wrong things that they've been doing and they should be in Jerusalem with the righteous people. And Nephi calls to their memory the account of Moses and their fathers coming out of the land of Egypt. And he says that when they were coming out of the land of Egypt, they come into the land of Canaan and he says, do you suppose that our, our fathers swept out a righteous people? And he's saying, no, no, those people who they swept out of the land were not righteous and the Lord is going to be on the side of the righteous. The people who align themselves with him, those are the people who are going to be blessed. And you're going to see that continuing forward with the Nephites and the Lamanites and Nephi himself with his brothers. Yeah, in verse uh, 122, it says, uh, he that is righteous is favored of God. And this goes back to the very, very beginning of First Nephi when Nephi says he is highly favored of the Lord. And... Um, you wonder, well, why is that? You say, well, here's the answer. He he was righteous. He was following what God says. Uh, he was favored of God because he listened to God. It's really popular nowadays, especially to say God God hates me because of these situations, this this thing in my life, or these trials, or blah 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 blah. Trials or uh, circumstances or anything in your life are not an indication of. God's feelings towards you. I mean, you look at your actions, say, am I following the commandments? Yes or no? If you said yes, then God really is a fan of you. I mean, like he loves you either way, but 
I mean, you are blessed if you follow the commandments. And I, and I think that's important. And it's a good precursor to have when reading the Book of Mormon as to why Nephi is highly favored. It's, it's because he's not forgetting God's hand in the daily things. I mean, he, he remembers he saved him when his brothers were trying to beat him and et cetera. So, mm-hmm. and in 29, 129, he tells them how they are, or some people are blessed. He says, and he leads away the righteous into precious lands and the wicked destroy it and causes the land to be taken away. You know, he destroys them out of that land. You know, what I really liked about 129 is he ends that and he says they are cursed, uh, cursed the land unto them for their sakes. He says it's for their good that he curses them. I thought, wow, that's, that's interesting. But you go back to the work of God. It's to bring us all back to him. I mean, he's not cursing them just because he's like, oh, you... You yeah, dirty not, dog! I'm I'm mad not at wrathful, you. Yeah, right. It's all because he's he wants us to be humbled. I mean, he's giving Laman and Lemuel this tough love because he knows they need it. I mean, like nothing's gonna break their hard heart unless Nephi yells at him a little bit, you know? Yeah, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Going back just a little bit um, to what Sam was talking about about Laman and Lemuel complaining about their wives in the wilderness, going through the tribulation stuff. These aren't unreasonable complaints again we've talked about this several times is that they're giving a very realistic or um reasonable response to the circumstance they're in like their their wives who they i'm sure i'm well i'm not sure actually it doesn't talk about their relationship status (laughs) but uh, let's just assume the best and say they love them you know Uh, they love their wives and they saw them going through pain Laman and Lemuel were empathetic towards the people they loved, and they're like, God can't do this to people. Again, they just didn't see the whole perspective, and it's just another one of those reoccurring themes. They they keep forgetting that there's a bigger picture. Mm-hmm. And Nephi here is trying to remind them of that bigger picture. He's like, you know, did our fathers, when they were in Egypt, and going through the Exodus, where they're walking out in the middle of the wilderness like we are doing now, were they happy with the Lord? And he's reminding them that, no, they were not. You know, these are stories, this is the history of Laman and Lemuel's people, and, and they know it by heart because they've been taught that Moses and the Lord, the Lord used Moses to lead those people out, and he's reminding them that they com- they complained, you know, when, when they were walking out. And he's saying, look, we're in a very similar situation, but you know that, you know the fruits of what happened from that journey. You know that they eventually got to Jerusalem and, and they built this city that we grew up in. And he's saying, you cannot just throw that away, those fruits away because you don't like the short term effects, right? He's trying to illustrate them, illustrate this to ways that they'll understand. And he tells them, um, about their fathers. He says, and they did harden their hearts from time to time and they did revile against Moses and also against God. But you know that they were led forth by his matchless power into the land of promise. He's saying, you know, they had the promise, they were led, and you know they were angry, but that anger was was not correct. You know, they didn't have their anger directed in a righteous way at, at all. They were mad at the wrong person because God delivered on his promise, and he's going to deliver his promise to us, too, if we're faithful to him. In verse 143, he talks about them and, and their condition right now. He says, wherefore, ye are murderers in your hearts. And you're like the people that wanted to kill our father. He's calling them out for, for their thoughts and their, 
their hearts where their hearts are at, even though they're going through the same thing, or even though they came along on the journey with, with their father, their hearts were still wicked, even though they've been through all these, these blessings, um, they're letting the, the adversary get to them in that regard. And so, um, Nephi speaks to him and he says, it caused the earth to shake as if it were going to split, divide. And his brothers, um, again, just can't deny his words that he's speaking to him. Nephi says, I'm full of the spirit of God and so much that my frame has no strength. And right before that in 151, it says, behold, my soul is rent with an anguish because of you. Contrasting to verse five that we looked at, he, he goes from this place of great hope and joy for for his brothers and now he's in total anguish just because of um i mean all because of the pride that his brothers have and and they're angry with the way he's been talking to him and they want to put their hands on him beat him up and he says you don't touch me because he just called them out for what they were he said you know you're murderers in your heart and they're taking that as oh now we are going to murder you right and he says <laughs> murderers in our hearts now we're murderers in the flesh yeah <laughs> <laughs> and and nephi filled with the spirit he tells him you know hey if you touch me you're going to wither like a reed you're going to be you're going to be done and and they recognize that. And Nephi goes on talking about the ship that they were making fun of him for so much. He says, if the Lord did all these miracles for us, the least he can do is tell me how to build a ship. Like, why would you not trust that he can, he can help us build a ship? And they don't, they don't lay their hands on him. And the Lord tells Nephi to stretch forth your hand and shock him. And so Nephi does it and they did wither before me and the Lord did shake them even according to the word which he had spoken. And that brings them into a sense of humbleness. And now they fall down and they want to, they want to worship Nephi because again, this goes back to their heart problem of, of pride and selfish and what's in it for me. They're willing to worship Nephi. Just a little bit ago, they were talking about how they didn't want to worship him. You know, he had made himself a ruler and teacher over them, and they were angry for him. But now they're worried that they he might kill him, and they're like, you know what? We're just going to do anything we can to stay alive. Let's worship him. And Nephi has to again remind them that, no, it's about the Lord. It's about the Lord. He's who you need to talk to. He's who you need to humble yourselves before. He's who you need to worship. Then he, in 166, he gives them... A, uh, or sorry, 167, he gives them commandments to do. And he says, just just follow God. Like, worship the Lord thy God and honor thy father and thy mother that thy days may be long in the land. And and that's a promise we find in Ephesians. So it's, it's just an interesting uh, connection there, just Ephesians 1 through 3. Uh, but it's the same thing. Honor thy father and mother that thy days may be long. And it's just a, another, I don't know, yeah. kick in there that God's the same. The Book of Mormon and Bible. We did some home visits, Andrew and I did, and we would go through promises and we tried to start, well, actually Andrew might not have been there. Um, the very, we went through promises, but the first visit we went through promises with this family is we looked up all the places that said, honor your father and mother. And it took them about two, two verses and they realized what the, what the goal was here. And, you know, and they're like, oh, all right. <laughs> um, they finished the ship, you know, his brother's, are like, all right, we'll do it. They worship the Lord. And then it talks about that Nephi built the ship and he did not work the timbers after the manner which was learned by men. He didn't build the ship like men do. He did it how the Lord showed unto him. And when they're finished, the brothers realized that it was pretty pretty good looking ship. And the workmanship was pretty good. And so they humbled themselves again before the Lord. And they're like, all right, I guess you knew what you were doing, Lord. 
I guess you knew, had an idea of how to build a ship. Uh, the god of the universe knows how to do that. Go figure. Um, so they go to, they go down to the ship, and uh, it says just right here in verse 179, My father had begot two sons in the wilderness. The eldest was called Jacob and the younger Joseph. So while they were in the wilderness sometime, they had Jacob and Joseph. So now added to the three boys, there are two more boys. So just a... Just for future reference, because Jacob is the next writer in the Book of Mormon. So that brings him up to six sons total. And yep. plus the... Or sorry. Yeah, yeah, I said three. It's four. <laughs> I didn't count Sam. Yeah. Yes. Everyone forgets <laughs> Sam. Because <laughs> he wasn't wicked. Middle of the road. Yeah. <laughs> Who cares about He was about the lukewarm him. guy. <laughs> <laughs> he was spewed out of the mouth. <laughs> We don't mind. know that. <laughs> You're right. He was the best out of all of them. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> Just um, and so they build the ship, and they're they're on it for a few days, and then all all bad things break out because Laman and Lemuel, so happy they they had built the ship and they're on the on the boat, begin to just go crazy with partying, and their the sons of Ishmael join in, and their families. And they get so mad at Nephi for trying to stop them from doing these things that they tie him up and they leave him on the mast of the, the ship, at least according to the, the Book of Mormon movie, Volume 1. Um, <laughs> and, and the Liahona starts working, which they were using for direction. And a storm comes and for four total days, it just rocks them back and forth, giving the ship all it's got, and Laman and Lemuel refuse to untie him until the fourth day, and they say, you know what, fine. And so they untie Nephi, and ne the first thing Nephi does is he falls down and he worships the Lord, and he praised him all the day long. He gets up, and they start to start to repent, and the Liahona starts working, and the, the storm subsides, and they go on sailing again towards the promised land. And he says, after the space of many days, we did arrive at the promised land. And they get there and they, they pitch their tents. And they begin to till the field. And they found all these animals and the forests and the jungles. A couple of just really fast notes. Back in 183 to 155, 185, sorry. It talks about their condition right before they tied up Nephi. And it said they were lifted up unto exceeding rudeness. And then Nephi preaches to him. And then that's what sends him over the edge. They're like, all right, you're being tied up. They were being rude. And Nephi was like, listen, this is a, this is the slippery slope. You're going to be rude. And then you're going to try and kill us. <laughs> I mean, it's going to go down that fast. And he was right. They were rude. And then that was the next step. It's just another one of those things. Uh, don't even let a little bit of sin in your life because eventually you can, might tie your brother to the mast of the ship and try to kill him. Uh, and then, sorry, uh, and then in verse 189, it says, Nevertheless, the Lord did suffer it that he might show forth his power unto the fulfilling of his word, which he had spoken concerning the wicked. I really felt like reading this, this was a description of our church. Um, you know, we're going through lots of hardship. We're not in the most united time. <laughs> There's lots of confusion, I'd say, just around what next. And I feel like Lord is is allowing it to happen to show forth his power. You know, there's so much good that's going to come. And if it were to have come when we had um, all this church structure and thousands upon thousands upon thousands of members, it'd be really easy for us to say, we built Zion. But that's not our work. Just to show forth his power, he's allowing us to go through this struggle 
of confusion and of disarray kind of but anyway that's just a interesting thought i had while reading that yeah the only other thought i had with the ship is it says they don't lose nephi until the fourth day of the storms and it's when they're about to die it says the ship's about to be swallowed and like the lord caused that but it seems like any time the lord's plan needs to be followed but they're in the way the Lord through Nephi or through, in this case, storms, takes them to where it's almost self-preservation to submit to the Lord for Laman and Lemuel. <laughs> and so, and it makes sense that they harden their hearts right after because they only did it because out of they, necessity. Yeah, out of necessity. It's yeah. like, okay, we get it, Lord. We'll, we'll soften our hearts this time. And then once they make it, then they go straight back. But it's bigger than just the Lord trying to soften their hearts. It's about establishing this new nation. It's about following the plan, getting to the promised land. So their actions are not going to get in the way of the Lord's plan, basically. Yeah. And you're seeing that them letting the devil have control of their hearts, he's getting more and more control. Because what what once started out at the beginning of chapter or chapter one, back in the beginning of the Book of Mormon, what started out as a, an angel simply coming and saying, why are you beating your brothers? Just stop. And they do. It has evolved and it has grown within them that, you know, they bind him up and they leave him and, and he's able to break and they're like, okay. And slowly, you know, it's just getting more and more. They're like, what can we do to show that we're in control here? And they're going to kill him. And then the Lord preserves Nephi. And then, like you said, it's about self-preservation. And now it gets on the ship and they don't untie him for four days because they're like, you know what? We're just going to, we're going to outweigh the Lord. We're just going to go through this for as long as we can. So what started out was a simple angel coming and telling them stop is now four days of near death before they'll submit. You can look at the list of the people who have chastened Laman and Lemuel and it's getting pretty long now. Like there's an angel there's Lehi, there's Nephi, there's, I think, their mother. Yep. There is the Lord himself, which is the one, the, the real kicker. Like, God came down and was like, enough is enough, guys. <laughs> and they're still this way. And they just, get shocked through Nephi. Like. <laughs> yeah, the, the list gets longer and longer. Of I mean, a storm compels them yeah. to be humble and nothing, still nothing. Yep. And so they, they finally all get to the promised land and Nephi is... I, I imagine if I were Nephi, I was like overjoyed that I would be back on land and maybe I could get away from my brothers. You know, I wasn't confined to a, I don't know how big the ship was, but a confined space where you couldn't get away. But now if, if anything goes wrong, he can just retreat to the wilderness for a little bit. But they get to the promised land and Nephi makes some plates. And he says, you know, again, like we talked about, I believe it was chapter two. He says, I'm only putting important things on this. I'm not, I'm not going to waste the pages and the, the long or making process for things that aren't important. And then the next thing he talks about is, is Christ there in verse 240, he's talking about a man who's going to be lifted up according to the words of Zenoch and to be crucified according to the words of Neum, Neum and to be buried in a sepulcher according to the words of Zenos. And you're going to see Zenos is actually a major prophet throughout the book of Mormon. And, and we don't have any record of Zenos and, the Old Testament or anything, but the Jews and and this day knew of Zenus according to Nephi, and over and over they're going to say this is what Zenus said, you know, and so they're describing the story of Jesus here, who's going to be crucified and then he's going to be buried in the the tomb, and 
After three days, he's going to come out. And uh, a sign should be given of his death unto those who inhabit the Isle of the Sea, more especially given unto those who are the house of Israel. And Nephi knows that, hey, me and my family, we're part of the house of Israel. So they're going to get a sign too. And when we get to third Nephi, we're going to talk about that sign probably beforehand because it's just such an important part. But he's going on telling him about the story of Christ's death and resurrection. And he says, all these things are going to come to pass, says the prophet Zenos. And the rocks of the earth must be rend, and the groanings of the earth and the kings of the isle of the sea shall be wrought upon by the Spirit of God to exclaim, the God of nature suffers. And he's talking about there the darkness and the storm that comes up comes upon the world when Christ is crucified. And he describes the the hearts of the house of Israel and how they turn away, say the prophets, and they despise the Holy One. They're, they're going to make fun, mock, and, and not accept Christ for who he is. But here's what's cool in verse 253, and this gets to, we talk about restoration basics. This is a verse that is so important to that. When the day cometh, saith the prophets, that they are no more turned outside their hearts against the Holy One of Israel, then will he remember the covenants which he made to their fathers. He's saying, this this is the restoration of that house of Israel we're a part of, that restoration movement. This is where it, it started. Once they turn their hearts back to him, he's going to remember the covenants which he made. Then in 255, he's saying, and all the people who are of the house of Israel will I gather in, saith the Lord, according to the words of the prophet Zenos, from the four quarters of the earth. And here's what we know, of, I, I believe, as the, the city of Zion. And all the earth shall see the salvation of the Lord. So it's going to be evident on the face of the earth, the salvation that men are seeking. Um, and that, that house of Israel movement, people are going to recognize, those, those people are going to recognize that the Lord is remembering them and the covenant. And he's going to restore the house of Israel to fulfill those covenants. We've heard a lot of, about promises in this chapter, uh, but we've also heard a couple times that God isn't a respecter of person. It says all the earth shall see the salvation of the Lord, not just the part of the earth where the people who have made a covenant with him. You know, everybody has an opportunity to come to God. And, and that's one of the restoration basics that we just need to not stop sharing. You know, I mean, there are so many people out there that don't know about Christianity and most of Christianity would say, well, if they don't know by the time they're dead, then they're going to hell. And we we know, um, thankfully, that that isn't the case. It illustrates God's mercy, but love to everybody. I mean, he's not going to allow any of us to go without what we need. It says in the, the New Testament, when, when a son comes up to you and asks for bread, are you going to give him a stone? No. When, when we ask God or when a now, let's just go even more general. When a, and a kid in eastern India looks up at the sky and says, I don't know if anything is there or anything, but this is terrible and I don't have any food and to fill in the blank. What's God going to do? Is he just going to let him die and go to hell? <laughs> I don't think that's the case. And we see here that the whole earth will have a chance to see the salvation of the Lord. You know, I really like that. A sermon was preached at, at a big gathering, and, and I was able to listen to it. And one of the questions he posed, or one of the challenges, I guess, was to go home and write down what Zion means to you. And so I did that, and I had the opportunity to speak with him after, and I asked him what it meant to him when he would pose that challenge. And he said, you know, it meant more than just an individual salvation. It almost means somewhat like a, a group salvation. Like Nephi was talking about when 
or when the Lord was talking to him and said, you're going to know that I'm God, it's the whole earth who's going to see a little bit of God's plan and, and that come to fruition and know that there's a plan. There's here's salvation right here. Salvation for all the people on the earth. And, and I thought that was an interesting perspective. We're coming up on the end of the chapter. I don't know if you guys have any other thoughts there. We just have six more, four more, five more verses there after. Yeah, those last verses are kind of sad. It's just Nephi is like, if I wasn't shown these things, then I would have perished too. And everyone else in Jerusalem is going to perish. So I'm sad. <laughs> But there you're seeing Nephi's heart, that it's, it's, it's that same mentality of, I wish we could have done more to bring them out, but we can't. That's not in the Lord's plan, and, and we're going to trust that he knows what's best. You know, thanks to the inspired version, we have that conversation between Enoch and, and God in Genesis 7, and it's very similar to that. Enoch is shown a lot of things, and then he's shown the, the sin of the world and everybody not in Zion after he was not exactly bragging about how great his people were, but he kind of boasting, I guess. And um, God shows him everybody who's not in Zion, and he's like, I am inconsolable. There is nothing that you can say to make me happy again, for I will never be happy. He was being obviously overdramatic because he was talking to God, but it just shows that it's it's about more than the group we're in. You know, it's it's about more than just me. It's about more than just... The three of us, it's about more than just the restoration. It's, it's about everyone. And God isn't satisfied unless everyone chooses. I mean, he, he wants us to choose. Yeah. And you talk about missionary efforts that have that same heart. Jumping further into the, the Book of Mormon, we know that the sons of Mosiah, that they trembled because they couldn't, they couldn't fathom the idea of their brother and their enemies, the Lamanites, dying without hearing the gospel. And... I'm not at that level, unfortunately, and, and I need to be. That's that's something what we need to grasp is that we can't just bear the idea of sitting back out of our own comfort and letting these other people live their lives without the knowledge we have. Contrast that with Jonah. <laughs> yeah. It's so different. I mean, complete opposites, polar opposites. Yeah. Who would go and, you know, it took a whole whale swallowing them to go to the the city's preaching and then when he was done preaching he was like i can't wait to watch god kill you all <laughs> and he just oh, waits boy. and waits and waits what a guy yeah but it does show why we are commanded to love our enemies is because our work should be god's work i said that earlier everyone deserves to hear the gospel everyone deserves god's love and Sometimes that might only be through us. Um, other times we can point people in the right direction. But the real tricky thing is figuring out how to witness to your enemies. So there it is. We end the chapter with a, with a few, I wouldn't say stray thoughts, but different thoughts on, on all the different things you can take from it. But all is so important. Uh, Andrew has his hand raised. <laughs> For those of you who can't see. <laughs> Everyone. Thanks for letting everybody know. Just last last thing is that on the ship, I, I don't think we remembered to say so, but they were still using the Lihona for direction. While they were on the ship, while Nephi was tied up, it wasn't working. Uh, that, that was another thing that caused them to untie him. They literally had no idea where they were going through the storm. <laughs> <laughs> Their hearts hardened yet again. When we pick up on next episode, 
chapter 6, uh, Nephi is going to talk more about Jesus. And you're going to find that in the Book of Mormon as the Church of Jesus Christ Latter-day Saints so commonly refers to it as another testament of Jesus Christ. That's not a an incorrect subtitle, I don't think, at all. This book is, is full of them. We saw it in chapter 1 and 2 and 3 and 4 and in 5. And he's going to try and drive the point home even more in chapter 6. We're also going to talk a little bit about Isaiah and Nephi's quoting him there. Thank you very much for listening. We hope that it's been beneficial to you in some way. God bless.